and welcome back to Planet SciComm. I'm glad everybody could join us. Uh, as usual, we have our co-hosts, Patrick Bedeau and Sarah Yo. And we have a very special guest uh, today who I'm sure you will all enjoy. And I'll hand it off to Patrick to do the introduction. And that was Jason Absolutely. That was. Oh, yes. And I'm Jason McDermott. <laughs> Thank you. Good reminder. All right. Now that we know who we are. Uh, let's talk about the other person in the room, not real room, sort of room. And this is a preeminent scholar in industrial design, a philosopher of our time, a, a true beacon of knowledge and creativity, uh, who previously had an exciting career in figure skating and equestrian and enjoys kohlrabi in her free time i would like to introduce bella mcdermott wow that was can you can you tell my professors to introduce me like that that's wonderful <laughs> you can that just replay a, it that was very creative patrick <laughs> yeah um. that was that was two truths and a lie but it might have been more than one lie <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hang on. Bella, is your last name McDermott? Yes, Wait it a is. Minute. That's is one of our hosts Jason McDermott? This is, is there any my mind right now? <laughs> yes, I am. Wait, I Bella, am... do I do I know you? <laughs> no, I don't I don't think we've ever met. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you just look really familiar there for a second. Yeah, you, so, you you don't. I can't I can't put it together. But yeah, I, I am Jason McDermott's daughter. Um, <laughs> oh, the truth is out. Yes. No. Welcome to the podcast, Bella. It's lovely to have you. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Aside from we want we want to know <laughs> more about you other than your Jason's daughter. <laughs> yeah. So I just started my sophomore year at Western Washington University in the industrial design program. And for those of you who don't know what industrial design is, some people do and some people don't. It's, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't. It's a little bit weird because uh, for Western, it depends on the school, depends on the program. But for Western, it's grouped in with the engineering program. So I'm taking a few engineering classes and a few math and science classes. Um, but it's all about the design of products. So it's taking like graphic design principles and art based principles and applying it to actual products. And and people are always like, well, what what do you design? Do you design chairs? Do you design cars? It's like we do literally everything. Um, but Right now for my classes, we're just learning the, you know, the fundamentals because I'm not too deep into it yet. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, I'm trying to think of of other facts about me um, besides the fact that I'm a wonderful figure skater. <laughs> Have you ever been figure skating? A scholar, skating? apparently. I've been... I've been ice skating. I can't uh, say that I looked like a figure skater by any <laughs> means. Um, but yeah, I've definitely been on ice before. But um, no, I don't know. All my hobbies used to be kind of art-based, a little bit engineering-based. I did uh, FTC, First Tech Challenge in high school, the competitive robotics, which uh, a surprising That's amount rad. of people can relate to. Yeah, it's funny because at Western, we have a club called Formula SAE, which is like a race car building team. And it is just like big blown up version of high school robotics. <laughs> and it, it's wonderful. But um, 
Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and so what actually, is your... Tell, tell, oh, go ahead, Sarah. So, so we are a science communication podcast. You are an industrial mm-hmm. design. Can you make the link for us? What is your interest in, in what we talk about on the podcast? So uh, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I, I just listen to podcasts like this for fun, first of all. Um, I find this type of stuff super interesting. But in terms of like science and technical communication, industrial design really is like a linking field between Obviously, it's more engineering, but um, industrial designers are the people who take ideas from the client and present it to the engineers in a way that they can understand or take engine or information from the engineers and present it to the client in a way that the client can understand. And so um, a lot of what we do is learning how to take these really complex um, you know, products or complex uh, systems and present it and design it in a way that is easy for a whole bunch of different people to understand. Interesting. Um, so are you in the call? Are you in, in engineering or is industrial design like an engineering adjacent? Because it sounds like you have to learn engineering principles because you have to talk about it, mm-hmm. but you also have to be like a normal human being. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what what I mean? are you trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, well, it's actually kind of funny because it is engineering adjacent. It I work in the engineering building and I'm around engineers all the time. Um, and I'm getting a bachelor of science rather than a bachelor of arts. A lot of schools have uh, industrial design in their arts program, so I think Western is pretty cool in that way because it requires you to take certain classes. Um, but no, I I tell people they're like, well, what what program are you in? Well, I'm like, well, I'm I'm in the engineering program technically and they're like oh cool like let me see the homework that you're doing it must be so hard and they look and i'm making these little like paper boxes and doing all these drawings and they're like what is what is going on we should um, totally link to bella's uh design instagram in oh, yes. the show notes as well because yes. <laughs> she she highlights some of her stuff and it's really awesome to see oh i feel famous this is great <laughs> i mean you are look at your previous careers Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I keep, I keep yeah. forgetting about those for some reason. <laughs> I just can't get it through my mind that I'm a super famous person. That's right. So, so this is a really interesting pursuit, and I'll be the first to say that I am naive to what it all means to do industrial design. But I am also curious: how did you get there? What, what yeah. sort of coalesced for this to be your path? So I'll be kind of honest. I'm still naive when it comes to industrial design a little bit, um, but you no know more yeah. than us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm getting I'm getting really into it. I'm taking their three classes. They call it like the triangle of death classes because it takes so much. Hey, so much do time. your professors call it that or do your peers call it that? <laughs> my peers and my professors call it that. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I, I met with uh, the head of the program and he was like, well, what classes are you taking next year? This was a few months ago and and i was like oh you know these industrial design ones he's like oh you're in the triangle of death man i was <laughs> okay. like oh no okay but, <laughs> but uh yeah so in high school i was i really enjoyed art and i really enjoyed kind of robotics i did the science fair type type uh route when i was a little bit younger and obviously in my dad's profession i um, tried i tried <laughs> to lead her down the righteous I path know. of academic <laughs> research science 
and, and look where it got. Computational biology. And computational you're biology. Like, look at all this amazing code. It's amazing. You sitting in you front get to of sit a on a computer and typing. type and stuff all day. So typing. wait, go ahead, yeah. Does that mean that I'm not on the righteous path? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure you are, Patrick. Sure, yeah, ba yeah. back to Bella. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, back to oh, Bella. Gosh. We're really, we're really bad at this because we didn't introduce ourselves to Bella at all. We hey, did. This is true. I, I have listened to some of your past episodes. So oh my god, I'm, we have a listener. We have one yeah. listener. <laughs> I really enjoyed she the won podcast. the listener uh, contest actually, and was invited <laughs> on the show as as her the listener raffle. There's only yeah, so one, yeah, app, one, raffle. one ballot in the, in the box, so she won the raffle. Uh, oh, Let's man. see who will win the raffle. <laughs> Sorry, these are the tangents we keep going off on. Bella, no, this yeah, is we're this very is interested in how you got to to the industrial yes. design program at Western Washington. Yeah, so so yeah, getting back to that question, um, I, in high school, I was interested in art. I was interested in science. Um, I wanted to be an engineer originally, I think, and I was never really like that interested in math. I was never really that like great at math. Um, but you know, looking looking into when you when you go and search for colleges, you look for the top colleges in engineering in Washington or the top colleges in whatever field you're trying to find. And the one that kept popping up was Western Washington University. And we were kind of like, huh, this is a little weird. Like, I've never really heard of Western Washington University. But why it kept uh, topping the list was because it was like, oh, it's really good for industrial design. I was like, I've never heard of industrial design before. Let me check out what this is. And this is probably my junior year. And I look into it. I'm like, whoa, this is like exactly what I want to be doing. Because wow. um, I remember looking at the, uh, the the course descriptions. I was like, this looks like a summer camp. Like, this looks super fun. And not to jinx myself, but so far it has kind of felt like a summer camp. I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. So I'm thinking I chose the right path. But oh, I'm so I glad. Yeah, I, I had no idea what it was before I got into it. So, so how long did you look? Oh, good question. Um, so you normally start, I think, the beginning of your junior year, kind of around that time, or maybe maybe a little bit towards the end. And so I was looking for about I mean, maybe a, a few months. I mean, the internet is a wonderful place. So when you go on there, you're going to start seeing patterns really quick. So it didn't take me long to kind of find the schools that mm -hmm. I was trying to apply to. That's fascinating um, that that students in the United States start in their junior year looking for college. There's there's so much social there's so much social psychology around this, right? Like this idea yeah. that everyone in the US has, should go to college because it's a norm that mm -hmm. in your junior year in school they're talking about like you are going to yeah. look for colleges that you are going to, right? And nobody talks about trade school. Nobody talks about, you know, those kinds of things that are uh, I'm not saying you should be in trade school, Bella. I'm just observing <laughs> that, like, it sounds like you are where you should be and you're enjoying it. So that's great. Yeah. Um, but it's just sort of fascinating because where I grew up, so I grew up in Malaysia. I I think, I don't know if I've talked about my college journey, but literally I had no idea what this college thing was, right? In my senior year in high school, what would e equate to my senior year in high school? Um, my parents basically had to search for me, I was like, I think I want to do this. I've never actually thought about it. Like as a 17 year old, I think so, Bella, I was just expressing, I was looking at the show notes, our preparation materials um, before this and expressing to Jason, I was just like, 
how old is your daughter? The, <laughs> how did all of this stuff get on here? Why, why is she so amazing? What's going on? Like, when <laughs> I was 19, I was, I was an idiot. I mean, there's like no, <laughs> I don't think there's any same, same. No sugarcoating that I had no idea. Couldn't see beyond my own nose. It is incredible. I think this is, uh, you're, this is incredible. What you, <laughs> you are an incredible human being. Okay. Yeah. Keep the, keep the compliments flowing. I really yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess I, I should I really appreciate say, it. Jason, wow. I mean, your parents did a good job, whoever they are. You we know? did. It, it was all us. I'm the same. Full responsibility. No, no. It, I mean, it, so Bella is wonderful and amazing. And, and it is funny. Well, you um, have to say that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's, I mean, it's true. Um, it is interesting with, um, you know, three kids Bella has two younger siblings um and how each one of them is you know like us but very different from us and from each other you realize that you're like there's stuff that you can do as parents and I think it's you know parents responsibility to to give all the tools and everything but then there are just things that are just there right like that your parenting will do nothing to change and that's it's wonderful to see Bella and her siblings develop as they as they gain independence and go to places like Western do industrial. So along the lines of this whole nature versus nurture argument, um, Bella, you ostensibly grew up at least somewhat nearby Jason and, you know, probably saw some of the stuff that he was working on, at least to some extent. Did any because we're talking about psychom, right? Mm. Did any of that like become part of how you got to industrial design? Like, did you ever collaborate on red pen, black pen, or did you read it and be like, Oh, that's weird. Um, (laughs) Or like how, how was that interaction manifested? No, I'm, I'm a big fan of cheesy science comics, even if I don't understand all of them. Um, I don't know. Cheesy. I, <laughs> sorry, not cheesy. Wonderful. No, no, no. no, no, I, no, no that, yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think it was more of a subconscious thing. I mean, the way that you uh, grow up, obviously, kind of matters in the type of person that you become. But I, I can't remember a time where I was ever like, oh, wow, I, this is this is great. This is exactly what I want to do. Like, I see my dad doing all this stuff. And I know because he does that, that I want to get involved. I think he was definitely a driving force in getting me into, like, science and engineering clubs and obviously doing the, the science fair type stuff, which is, like, such a cool thing for middle school kids to do. I, I was just reminiscing about that. I really enjoyed the science fair. But, um yeah, I, I think it's all kind of an amalgamation of, you know, how, how they raised me and the environment I grew up in and um, just kind of the, the areas that I got into going through school. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. So you've discussed sort of how you got there. Now that you're in it and we're talking about science communication – where would you go from there with communication? Are there areas that you think are good? Are there areas that need improvement? Like, where are you looking in industrial design? Mm, like, where would I go personally? Or what am I noticing? Both. Just going through. Okay. Let's do it. Um, 
Man, so I mentioned that I work in the engineering building. I have a lot of engineering student friends. And Western, there are three other engineering programs. There's the computer and electrical. There's uh, plastics and or polymers and manufacture or polymers and materials. And then there's manufacturing engineering. And so I talk especially with the manufacturing engineers and they're always working with CAD. And um, one of the funny they, things that I noticed. CAD? Oh, sorry. Um, computer aided design. Ah, so, okay, thank you. So making 3D models on the computer for manufacturing. Um, and I couldn't tell you exactly what manufacturing engineers do after they graduate, but I'm sure it has something to do <laughs> with developing products specifically for the manufacturing process. Um, but anyways, one of the weird phenomenons I noticed was like uh, engineer, the engineers that I interact with are notoriously bad for giving presentations and getting people excited about their work, like in professional settings, like in the class setting, um, just not very great communicators. But when I talk with any, any of them outside of class, they always get so excited. They're always geeking out about stuff and getting really into describing, you know, the projects that they're doing. It gets me excited too. Cause I love that kind of stuff. And, um, so it's like, how do you take that sort of energy outside of the classroom? You know, when you're really invested in something, and I think it's kind of the same as like, if you really like a certain show or you're really into like a specific actor, actress, you know, all the drama about it, you're going to be more excited when you when you talk. So mm -hmm. these people are really into like, I don't know, designing little toy cars or really into watches. And so and, and so I what I hear is you're I hear that there's like something missing that the excitement doesn't maybe follow through to the to the communication of that in like a public setting. But if you're talking in private there's much more excitement is that yeah and I'm not really sure where that where that comes from but it's I was thinking I was like how do you take that sort of energy and like engagement in conversation and put it into like a professional presentation yeah um, yeah why do you think that it doesn't happen though in the pro professional presentation versus like when you're talking one-on-one -on -one in in private with an uh, you know like an individual engineer well one people are going to be more comfortable when you're talking in private. You don't need presentation skills. You just need to feel comfortable with the person that you're talking with. Even if you consider yourself, you know, a socially awkward person or someone who doesn't, doesn't speak a lot. If, um, you know, whoever, whoever you're having that conversation with is really interested in your project, you're going to kind of piggyback off each other and start getting more excited. But when you're presenting to a panel, you're speaking your stuff at them. You're not getting any engagement back. I think that's a big thing to it. Uh, it's interesting. So one of the things I work on is humor in science communication. And, and um, you know, you don't often see, maybe you see more now, I don't know, maybe I see a lot of it because I study it, but you don't actually see too much humor in professional presentations, right? Mm -hmm. um, but these are kinds, I think, one thing I've been studying is is the use of humor as something uh, to to make a person more likable, more approachable. And that is a characteristic of a communicator that we trust, right? That someone is likable, that I I'm, you know, want to be friends with this person. There was actually a lot of um political communication or political science research on on candidates, for example. One of the questions was, would you have a beer with this person? Right. Like mm -hmm. in a friendly, like I'm an approachable person sort of way. And so I wonder about like, what are the tactics that one might be able to use to make scientists and engineers more likable in that way? 
Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think about that. And which is why I was asking you about like, what do you think this difference is, right? Between like standing yeah. in front of a panel versus like, I'm having a conversation with you, maybe whatever, over a meal or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to, I feel like I kind of specifically called out engineering students. It's just because I'm around them a lot. Like I have this problem too. We actually recently had a, a presentation on, it was like a psychology of color and mm-hmm. I was running through it and I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm loving it. Like I, I, I was showing it to my friend and he was like, this is awesome. Love the presentation. And I feel like as soon as I get up in front of the class, it's immediately going to turn all professional and all boring. And I'm not really <laughs> sure. Like, it's just a, for me, it's like a knee jerk reaction. I'm like, I gotta, I can't be loose with it. I can't be casual because it's a presentation. Um, it's so interesting because we don't do a lot of classes for presenting well, yeah. right? And like, I, I remember being a science student as an undergraduate and it's it was like, you are going to learn how to give a presentation somehow through osmosis, I think. I'm not really <laughs> sure. Like you stand next to a person and you rub shoulders with someone who's uh-huh. and then you hope for the best. Um, but yeah, there's not actually a formal class where you're able to practice, right? And to like be that conversational person. I mean, good talks, none of the good talks I've ever seen have been just this, like, I'm going to talk in this monotone voice and share with you all the facts. So also, I wonder, you know, one of the things that we're talking about, right, excuse me, is in a class. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, Bella, is that there's probably some aspect of grading that goes into these presentations. Yes? Yeah. Okay. So you've now set up this dynamic where, you know, if you don't give a good presentation, you're going to get a poor score. (laughs) So then you can be nervous. Right. And Mm. I wonder if part of it deals with the pressure of knowing that if you don't perform, you know, you're going to get docked. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I think there are just a whole bunch of factors around it that make it hard to, you know, get up and talk to a, panel like you talk with your friend i think it's interesting because um you you can see this at all levels where um the the difference between a presentation sometimes at a scientific conference right so the presentation is i am going to tell you today uh, thank you all for being here i'm going to tell you today about my important research (laughs) in the area of blah 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 and then uh, afterwards, you're like, hey, I had a really interesting question about, you know, this figure. And they're like, oh, yeah, so this is really exciting. We found this really cool thing, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, this is like talking to a different person. And I feel it in myself as well, because you feel that shift of like, now I am presenting. I, you know, I am the presenter <laughs> rather so, than, hey, I'm just talking with you. And so yeah, I, have a, I wonder. I have a, too, sorry, go ahead, Patrick. No, no, you first. Then I have a question for you, Sarah. Oh, well, I was wondering about the sometimes I remember feeling as a science student who like wasn't an expert in anything per se. Right. This idea of a lot of fear and apprehension around saying something wrong, like somebody is going to attack mm-hmm. me something wrong, the, the anxiety inherent in that. And I wonder about about that, actually, whether how much of that is like holding us back from being normal human beings when we talk because we're so worried about I'm going to say something wrong and someone is going to attack me for this because that is essentially I mean 
then itself captures this idea of like the scientific process, right? It's a it's a process of self-correction. And there are some some of us who like to self to correct others much more, you know, um, than other people. But so that was kind of where I was gonna ask you about is so because you study science communication, right? And we've just talked about the shift between the presenter present the mm-hmm. presenter style versus the conversation style. I wonder if some of that also has to do with the way that you are perceived because if you, you know, have a commanding air of I am giving mm-hmm. you all of my data, look at yeah. the beauty of my data, it is internally consistent, you know, love it. Um And then you get done with it and you don't have to convince an audience anymore that you are, in fact, an authority on this. Then you can just be like, oh, my gosh, my dad was so cool. You guys did you see my figures, you know? (laughs) So is there is is there some part of like the way that you're perceived that that plays into? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure there is. Right. And in addition to that, it's sort of um, not just the the way. Well, I mean, it is the way that I'm perceived like. I think a lot of scientists worry about expertise. Like, am I being perceived as an expert because I am an expert in this area, right? But scientists, for the most part, I think, and I've said this before, score pretty high in terms of credibility, the the dimension of credibility that is related to expertise. Because you have an education, you have the letters behind your name, people believe and trust scientists, right? And so, you know, I would think that as a scientist, we don't really have to spend as much time convincing people of our credibility. That credibility is conferred upon us by a lot of other things. The institution that we're at, right? So for example, Bella, you're a student in the industrial design program. People, by virtue of being a student in that program, people have some belief that you have credibility, that you have learned something from that program. So that program itself is conferring some sort of expertise Mm. or credibility perceptions on you, right? Um, Yet we still feel like we have to convince people that we are experts. Um, I don't necessarily think that that is maybe the best tactic. Certainly you don't want people to to not believe what you're saying in terms of like, oh, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. But there's other dimensions of trust that are important, right? This idea of like, are you a warm person? I am much more likely to trust what a friendly, likable, warm person says, someone who I think maybe has my best interests in in, in mind as well, than I, than I would be to just trust a cold scientist who maybe doesn't seem to care about me or others, right? And so as scientists, I think we spend a lot of time on the credibility dimension of trust and not so much on like warmth or openness, right? Things like that. Yeah. But isn't that almost oddly antithetical to science? Because part of the point of it is that you're supposed to be a cold, objective, you know, distanced observer (laughs) and then present give your findings in a way that, you know, if anybody had done this, this would have been the outcome, right? But then the flip of that is that that's so not warm at all. Well, and I think that's, it's like a, it's like a straw man that we've set up, right? Mm. The idea of science as cold and rational and uh, independent of humanness (laughs) is, is not real, Right. I mean, it's it's a it's false. So, because so why do so why do we push a human it? endeavor? 
I was going to say too, because um, you were talking about the whole thing with, with credibility and trying to present yourself as credible because that's such a big thing in the science community. And I think it, it is in the, in a lot of different STEM communities. Um, I mean, doesn't that mean that people are going to be more likely to judge you if you don't present yourself as credible? Cause everyone's in this mindset of, Oh, I'm, I, I'm doing this, this is what I'm doing and people respond well to it. So why isn't this person doing it? Like, why are they trying to be my friend rather than trying to present? Right. And uh, that's, that's a good point. It's like a double standard of warmth versus credibility. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's interesting too, because I'm imagining, and I don't know this happens at the student level because you don't have, you're not expected to have that credibility yet, but imagine that you've now been hired on as an industrial designer and you're, you're taking on your first project. And the first project is like, Hey, we have this widget and we, we want, you know, something new with it. And then you have to come in there to all these people who've worked with it for years and say, I know something because of my credibility, right? Like, how are you going to present that to them? <laughs> it seems like it's it, probably an analogous kind of situation, right? Yeah. Well, actually, I think that's one of the cool things about industrial design. And like I said, I haven't I've never worked on any professional projects like that, so I couldn't say exactly how it would go. But the way I see it, you're not coming in and saying, because of my credibility, I know something you don't. You're coming in and saying, because of your credibility, you can give me information so that we can work mm. together and create a better product. So that's what I found. Uh, one of the first projects for my model making class was we had to design a VR controller, virtual reality controller. And I was like, well, that's, you know, the controllers that are out there are already designed by some great design teams. Like they know what they're doing. So how do you improve on that? Especially someone like me, I don't use virtual reality a lot. So it's like, you just, you just go and talk to people. You use expertise that other people have so that you don't have to do all the research and all the learning, you know, for years and years and years of, of knowledge to go out and create good designs. It sounds like a wonderful sort of go-between field, right? That combines sort of the science, like you know, need to know something about the science and engineering aspect, but you also have to be a real human being. I don't <laughs> want to say real human being, and you know what I mean. <laughs> be able to talk to other people, and again, I think we are blanket statement about how engineers and scientists maybe aren't the most like approachable humans. It's not always mm. the case, I think, but, um, <laughs> <Did> someone <laughs> just say most cases. Okay. No. Yeah. But I, I can see I was, how I was... the science communication aspect is important here because you're essentially doing a version of this, right. That is mm. certainly has a different objective. Your, their objective is to design a better product, but there's a lot of communication um, that is going on in this process. And so can you say more, Bella, about like how you get trained in that communication? Yeah, that's actually a good question. I don't think I ever have really through the classes. I mean, well, Okay, I'll take that back. The way these classes are set up for most industrial design um, like based courses is that you are assigned a project. Normally, for the classes that I'm taking, you take a few days to complete that project or complete a, a part of that project. And then you present it to the class and then you have a whole class critique. So that's, that's kind of that's the scariest thing about industrial design is like it's not like you're either right or you're wrong. It's really subjective and you're constantly being judged by your classmates on the quality of work that you do and how much they like it. Which That sounds that sounds like studio art. 
Yeah, it, it kind of is. Um, but I, I really enjoy it. You can get a lot of good feedback just by by hearing people's kind of like unfiltered opinions. And I think that is the best frame for critique, right? Is that mm. people are willing to help you make changes and make something better instead of like right. attack. It is a it is did we talk about this? I think critical care, the idea of critical care. I can't remember who wrote about critical care, but um, mm. the idea that it is a form of uh, caring that someone is giving you feedback that is critical, not mm. rude or uncivil, but that critical feedback. Because if right. I didn't want to spend time thinking about your project, I would just say, yes, this is great move on, right? Stop bothering me. Yeah. But if I cared enough to give you feedback that is useful, then that is a form of caring, right? That is a form yeah. of like helping. And so I think that it is, a, I think this is really great. And it's really lovely to hear a student say this, that like, I really appreciate the feedback because I think a lot of students take feedback as personal attacks sometimes. Attacks, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I definitely used to. <laughs> and so I'm I'm wondering then um how like what how did that mindset shift for you? Like at what point did you realize or did you start to think of this as helpful instead of like this is an attack? Well, I used to be really like self-conscious about the work that I did. I was like I did it and I'm not super attached to it, but I'm afraid that you know, I see that it's not up to par. And so everyone else is going to look at it and be like, oh, this is so terrible. So I was like, oh, I'm just I'm not going to show anyone like I'm just going to hide it, which is never the way to go. <laughs> but another and I'm going to keep talking about this program because I've really enjoyed it. Um, but an, another great thing about industrial design at Western is a lot of what they're trying to do is build a community of students. So there are about 36 students, I think, this year in my cohort. We're all sophomores and uh, we're all going to do this thing called sophomore review, um, which is coming up at the end of winter quarter. And uh, so every single one of us knows every other one of us, and we're all working together to try and get into this program because it's, it's pretty competitive. And so when you're talking with your friends about, you know, the feedback that you want to give and you're trying to help them get better, it's a lot easier than going up to a random stranger and having to be like, yeah, your work sucks. Like, I don't <laughs> like this about it. And, you know, know that we're it's obviously it's all constructive criticism right. and everyone's very nice about it. But um, I think for me, it really changed when I realized, oh, they're not trying to tear down my work. They're trying to make it the best it can be, because in my in my experience, everyone in that program is really motivated to help everyone else, which I've, I've appreciated so far. Yeah. So that's rad. I think there's also another dimension to it because you've talked about accepting critique, but how has your giving critique changed? Mm. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I like to give critiques because... Um, Jason, and, can you agree with that? She loves to give critiques. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, tell, I tell him his comics suck every single day. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Oh, yes, no, yeah. Keep, keep going on this topic, but I do want to no, put wait, in like... Is that critical, Karen? Or just critical? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, how have your critiques changed, do you think? 
<laughs> yeah. So I think it's just that same idea of um, reframing it in my head as giving critiques to help people. And a lot of what I like about these projects is the chance to just to just talk and just sit down and have conversations and kind of play off of each other's work. It's super collaborative. And um, the the biggest thing is that everyone is super welcoming of that feedback. Like people, you know, if, if we're working on a project that requires uh to make a controller, we're going to be going around and giving other students our controller models and being like, how does this feel? You know, do you, do you like this? What should I change? And well, do so, you make physical like things? Yeah. So in the, from what I can tell in the industry, it's not as prevalent to do the model making, but one of my classes is, I think it's called intro to model making. So <laughs> right now we're working with foam, like really heavy foam. I think we're going to be working with wood and metal going forward That's and maybe some cool. like plastics. So yeah. How, it's, how do it's you, super fun. Hey, this is a nerdy question. I'm just, I just don't know anything about this, but how do you make, is it like you are hand, I don't know, making things by hand? Like, yeah. So, out and <laughs> I mean, most of the stuff that we do is all by hand. Some people are overachievers and go use, we have a laser cutter in the building and wow. so go laser cut like really thin foam. Um, but with the materials that we're working with right now, it's hard to do, like, you can't get nice ergonomic shapes without, you know, hand making the the controllers. Oh, wow. And so, um, yeah, the, the process that we've been going through is we started by doing cardboard sketch models. And sketch models are just really quick models just to get an idea of, like, what the thing's going to look like. Then we draw out our, our orthographic projections and come up with the dimensions. And then we model in, um, oh, what's it called? I'm not sure the, the word for it, but it's like insulation foam. It's purple or pink. It's really light. Mm. And when you sand that down, you can get a really clean finish to it. And so um, those are really nice to just get the idea out. And now we're moving on to yellow foam, which is it's super crazy. It's like we're working with a lower density version, but it can get up to stone or wood type density. And it's it's still foam. Oh. Um, so we're using like power tools on it, which... Whoa. Okay, wait. Is everybody else pr pretending that they know what orthographic projection is? Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I'm just like watching Jason and Patrick and they're like not. Yeah. So I, um, I looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> I hope uh, if you guys have any engineers listening to me, they're not going to come at me for the exact definition. But it's basically just a way of drawing out your product so you see the front and the side and the back view. Ah, the top okay. view just a bunch of different views so that you can get accurate dimensions on what you're trying to make. Yeah. And it's used a lot in engineering for CAD modeling, um, the computer modeling, because you'll design a product in 3D and it, it'll come out with an orthographic projection on paper that you can hand to somebody and be like, here's the dimensions, go machine this. That is so, um, cool. sorry, I feel like I've been dominating this this question. No, this is awesome. Yeah. Because I just think she's so great. This is like incredible. <laughs> I, I think about like how I was as an undergraduate student in my sophomore year, I was still getting C's because I was still in the high school mode, you know, like I <laughs> yeah. in high school and got A's and then I went to college and was like, oh my God, I got to read a thing. Right, right, right. You know, well, it's nice now because totally. I feel like growing up, uh, like people were always like, oh, you're you're too you're too serious, like you're too weird, like just be be like a kid. And that's, I mean, not that I'm not a kid, not that I don't like to have fun, but I kind of I've had this personality ever since. I don't know uh, if Jason, you remember uh, the probably the Leona Libby Middle School. Uh, our town was 
uh, coming up with the infrastructure for the new middle oh, school yeah, yeah, yeah. building. And I was on the team that was just, I was just a student to give feedback for that. And um, one right, of as the, they were building, designing yeah. the, the middle school, the new middle school. So that's mm-hmm. what, yeah. One of the other people working for that, she's a, a drama teacher at, um, I think she's a drama teacher there and yeah. drama at Hanford. And, and she was like, Bella's like uh, an adult trapped in a kid's body. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's funny because it's not, I'm not trying to do this. It's just something something about it. But um, I think it's, it's definitely advantageous, um, especially in in this program specifically. I feel like there are a lot of people coming back to get a a degree. So there are people who are in their um, late twenties, maybe even thirties and forties. And um, if I don't tell people my age, they don't, they're not like, oh yeah, you're the youngest person here. Like you are definitely 18. <laughs> so it's, I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come back to something you said about Jason's red pen, black pen comic. <laughs> <laughs> so you, earlier you said uh, like you enjoy the comics, even though you don't understand all of it. Right. So what I'm hearing is I can appreciate the humor even without some knowledge. So now I'm putting it into boring scientific terms. Can you (laughs) uh, and maybe you you don't remember an example right away, but like I'm just very curious about, you know, because when I talk about humor, people Mm. will say something. Well, you need to know something about that science to get the joke. Right. But what you just said to me implies that I don't actually have to know everything about it and I can still laugh at it and setting aside that like sometimes maybe you feel obliged to laugh at the dad jokes (laughs) right (laughs) like what do you think that is like how do you think you can still find something funny but not get all of it like well, I think you're kind of cheating with comics because visual communication is a super powerful tool, especially when it comes to humor. Because um, even if even if the comic isn't funny and even if you don't understand any of it, you're still looking at this picture and you're like, oh, this is supposed to be funny. And I can see this cool drawing and like it's a little like red guy and he's running around like I, I really <laughs> like this. Um, at least that's that's been my experience. And um, I think there's a term that my professors always use uh, it's like suggestive visual language where you don't actually have to draw out all the lines. And in many cases, you don't want to, you want to just suggest that something is there. Hmm. And I think humor can be kind of suggestive in that same way um, where it's like, you know, I don't have to understand every little part of it, but I know it's supposed to be funny and I like what I'm looking at. So I can, you know, it's, it's a nice it's a nice thing. Wow. Um, I, do, I do wish Bella was in communication and would come to grad school <laughs> with me because she has pointed out a couple of things here about about humor, right? That it is that there are different types of humor. So you can appreciate the comic part of it, even if you don't get the actual content of it. Right. You can still mm-hmm. appreciate that. And that could still make you laugh. Um, and then also, what's the other thing that you said here? Uh but the suggestive language? Oh, no, that 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 you know that somebody intended for this to be funny, that mm. there is some sort of normative yeah. cue around like, I think this is going to be <laughs> funny because the content creator has indicated in some way that it's going to be funny. And I, that's fascinating. That's <laughs> that. Is, I mean, it's so incredibly perceptive. Um, 
Yeah. All right. So Bella, I don't know if you just realized this, but you did just get an offer to join a graduate program. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that really landed. Which I'm doing also, a little bit of fangirling, which is, yeah. Anyway. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, we all do. But also, I think there's really something here that I just want to point out really quick, and you know, feel free to shoot it down or not. But Billy, you pointed out that there were definitely areas that your cohort other individuals, um, even people potentially in your discipline as you move forward could improve in their communication. I wonder if in addition to doing industrial design, potentially having a component of what your career turns into is to help others with their communication in your field, because that would ramp up the speed, the efficacy. And I think we all know at this point that if you're a business, time is money. If you're spending a buttload of time failing at communication, you're losing money. So I wonder if potentially, you know, after you get your master's with Sarah, that you could <laughs> use that as part of a career trajectory to improve your entire field. Yeah, that's that's interesting. No, I, I think that'd be a great idea. And I think honestly, from all the professional industrial industrial designers that I've talked with or that I've heard about. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, t I used to be really addicted to Instagram. And I was like, how do I stop this? Because it's such a you know, compulsion to grab your phone. I just flooded my feed with industrial design stuff. So now every time I pick it up, <laughs> and then you were like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, I think it makes me sit on there more because I'm like, oh, another project idea, another project idea. This is great. Uh, <laughs> but uh Sorry, go ahead. I was just I was just thinking that's fascinating that you're using social media, that you're able to use social media for school, essentially, for project uh -huh. ideas. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, OK. OK. That's a different thing. <laughs> but get to Patrick's question. Or, yeah. yeah. So the, to, to keep on that, that topic, like um, I think industrial designers are really good communicators and I'm sure I'll learn a little bit more about, you know, communication and presentation as we go down the line. Um, of the of the classes but like I'm honestly not sure how that happens because I love all the people who are in my program right now but me included like we're not we're not the best presenters we're not at a professional level where we like I wouldn't put me in a situation where I have to go present to a client like today um, because I just don't understand how to do that and I think it's something that you learn as you go uh, and so I, I think there's a lot of importance to being able to teach that kind of right off the bat and have it as a foundation. Osmosis? Is that where we? <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like, yeah, just, just kind of, yeah, look at, look at what other people are doing, like kind of try and copy that, which, I mean, that's a great way to learn, but takes, takes time and it takes interacting with people, which sometimes you just can't yeah. do that. Um, and, you know, also if you go onto a job site or a position or a contract or whatever on day one after you step out from a degree and mm. you can already do the communication level that a seasoned veteran in your field who yeah. has, you know, who's had that experience, you're going to be a way better asset. And if that were sort of a more codified part of training, you actually increase the value of an entire program. Yeah. No, that's a that's a really good thing to point out. And I think that's why uh, in the show notes, I mentioned something about engineers not having any classes because they don't have any time, which um, so I bring up 
industrial designers are a little bit better for that because the classes are actually formatted in a way that teaches you how to present your work correctly and teaches you how to communicate with Mm -hmm. other people. But engineering is one, it's really isolated in that sense. And two, like the students that I know, they're like up to their neck in math and physics homework every single night. (laughs) And they're like, I don't know what's going on. I tried to build a car. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in that situation, but that makes it really hard to kind of take a step back and be like, what am I doing? And how is it going to be applied in industry? And how do I learn skills that are going to be really useful for that? Like communication skills, because Mm -hmm. when you're given a project in an engineering class, the goal isn't to be able to communicate it well. The goal is to be able to do the project. Um, so I have a question along those lines. Do you think that that's why some of the programs are structured differently? Like in many cases, you'll have engineer undergrad. Engineer undergrad immediately gets master's in engineering because mm-hmm. then that makes them both hireable and have more uh, experience. And then so many of them also have a required co-op or intern component like they Mm -hmm. have to go to a company because in being at the company you're getting taught the communication skills that you're not getting in classes yeah and that's kind of how industrial design has a required um internship as well and it's it's so much easier to learn about the industry that you want to go into when you're actually in the industry that you're into and uh and you know that that goes along with communication too um like you were saying, just understanding how to work with people in a real world scenario. And I don't like, I'm not the person who designs the courses. So I don't know how much it would take to put in communication classes or put in, you know, different resources to help students, but it definitely would be advantageous. I was actually just talking with with Jason. Um, I'm not sure if I should call him Jason or call him dad. I haven't figured that out (laughs) yet. Yeah. Choose yeah, your own adventure. Right. But, um, I, the robotics program that I did, there's a younger version of that called First Lego League. And that um, you have a team and you're all elementary or middle school students and you put together a little mini research project. So like one year we did a water filter. One year we did, you know, how to help prevent diseases, spread information in that way. And so... Um, that was probably the most valuable asset to my presentation abilities, because even going into this presentation that we are going to have in class on Monday, it's like, I feel so confident, like I'm putting jokes in there, like I'm I'm really trying to, you know, communicate this in a way that's going to be different than my other classmates. Um, and it's a I don't know super if- good program. And we yeah. should link in the show notes. Um, it is, first, it's wonderful. first Lego League. <laughs> It's really a great program because it's way more than just building a robot. Yeah. That's that's the take home. Oh my god, awesome. I still love Legos, so <laughs> same. I'm like a child. I'm the opposite of Bella. I'm a child trapped in an adult body. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's fine. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good yeah. way to go about it. Yeah. So Bella, I wanted to ask you. Um uh-huh. one thing you mentioned. Uh, is in your show notes is is um, thinking about like how users will react to your products. Do you guys ever think about like doing some like a little bit of research before you create a product? Like do what's the research process around like or is there a research process around how you create the product? I assume there is. But then and but then how people will react potentially to it? I, I think it seems yeah. to me that product design is a lot about how people's reactions to said product. 
Yeah. And um, the reason that is, is because when you design a product, no matter how good it is, you're not the one that's going to be using it as the designer. I mean, you might be, but the people that you're trying to market to is the, the entire user base. And so if they aren't reacting well to it, then you don't have a good product on your hands. Um, but yeah, I so a lot of the classes I've been taking have been kind of isolated from full projects. But um, as I get into the model making class and into the junior and senior courses, they're, they have... Um, you know, a few weeks or, or a month carved out for any given project. And you start with research, you start with problem statements. And um, I go into the junior studio sometimes, and they always have like a whole bunch of sticky notes all over the wall with like project ideas and little sketches and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's, you were asking, um, I think if there were, there was a lot of thought put into these different components. And I think it's just kind of there naturally because that's how product design works. You always want to start with the research. You always want to start with understanding your user and then you go into designing a, a product mm -hmm. for that. But uh, I do want to bring up, there's this concept that I learned pretty recently or like applied pretty recently. It's called um, like product discoverability. And it just means how easy without any other context, is it for somebody to come and look at the product you've designed and understand how to use it because of the way you've designed it. So, so Ikea entirely lacks that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there obviously there, there are other aspects to it, like, you know, instruction manuals. <laughs> I don't think well, I've read, ever nobody reads those. Nobody reads those. You yeah. just open the IKEA box. You open and you like, all start, the nuts and bolts you get, and right? And start putting them together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, because you need your you need your mom next to your Kierdenarg. <laughs> <laughs> I love the happy. I love the happy little guys in there uh, on in their instruction manuals. Though they're always like, know they're happy. Well, I don't know. Oh, I, maybe I'm projecting. Faces. Maybe they're projecting. I see. That's that's good design. I guess right. yeah, that's happy. suggestive. That's happy. Suggestive <laughs> of a happy person putting mom together. <laughs> maybe maybe if I'm in the middle of a project and I'm actually crying on the floor, I think of the of the <laughs> little guys as not happy, right? So yeah, I mean, it's fascinating how much communication is is sort of inherent in these types of like industrial design, right? Like the en engineers are creating a product using, you know, science principles and but you still have to have people use the product. There is a social aspect of all of this. Right. And 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 I think this is where, Bella, what you're doing comes in. And so you have to be able to kind of straddle the science world and the I hate to say the science world and the human world because that's creating a false dichotomy between like <laughs> science is not a human endeavor but to some extent it is a little bit like normal language speaking and then science language speaking yeah, yeah. that actually remi reminded me one of your uh earlier podcasts you had a guest on that was talking about um or maybe it was you Sarah who was talking about uh the more information that you throw at somebody doesn't mean the more comprehension and um, I think that is a super interesting thing to think about because it, it really is like no matter how much you know about a topic, you're not going to give that to somebody else unless you know how to interact with them. Yeah, yeah and that's I'm probably kidding. super relevant in industrial design where maybe your client doesn't need to know exactly <laughs> how, I don't know. Yeah, 
And that's yeah. the, I think that's the issue with um, the way the engineering classes are framed. I don't know. And, you know, I'm not an engineering student, so I can't really speak to this um, super truthfully, but I'm not I'm not sure if there's anything in there that talks about, hey, no matter how much you know and no matter how advanced your product is, unless you're marketing to other engineers, hmm. people aren't going to react to that well, um, you know, if there's no human aspect to it. And I think just inherently with engineering, you're always considering the human factors, but it's a lot more based in, is this product going to work and is it going to be manufacturable rather than is it going to be something that people are actually going to use? Totally. I wonder also what happens when you get into something that's really, really technically specific. Like, mm -hmm. let's say you're designing a jet engine. Wowzers, you know, <clears throat> like that is complicated. You are going to be up to your armpits in jargon. How do you deal with that from the communications aspect? Yeah, that's where it... Um... That's where my expertise kind of kind of stops. But <laughs> for I, now, for now, for, because, yeah, for now, right? I've not yet learned about jet engines. That's why internships, I think, are so important, because like as an industrial designer, if you get hired on, you know, into into a company, you're not going to be doing every single thing on the face of the earth. Like you're not going to be going around and designing a chair, then designing a medical, you know, <laughs> equipment. I mean, some people do that, but generally you're going to be in a more specialized field. And as you go through that field and go through more projects and talk with people, you start to learn and become an expert, even if that's not, you know, what you so, studied in school. Yeah. So and I suppose you can still apply the principles that you've learned in school to whatever yeah. object or field you you choose to become an expert in. But I'm curious, Bella, what... Right now, and I know you're only in your sophomore year, believe me, if I asked myself, if I asked past Sarah what you wanted to do in her sophomore year, she would have been uh, like, I don't know, surf. <laughs> uh, so do you have a, an idea of what what sort of products or what areas of design that you might be interested in? Um, whatever is going to make me money um, and have job security. <laughs> Good call. I think... Um, I I have a nice view on this because it's like, if it's industrial design, if it's anything with what I'm doing right now, I'm probably going to be happy with whatever field I get into. And I tend to get really into, like, I actually did a, a Suli internship with PNNL over the summer and I was working what? in residential. Oh, uh, science undergraduate. Undergraduate. Oh, I Jason doesn't this. even know. Oh, <laughs> I don't. In, in, the, in, the I is for internship. Um, yeah, but it's I can a, give you a. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no. I was just going to say it's a DOE program for undergraduate mm -hmm. internships, and it's a Science. great program. Science it, undergraduate laboratory internships. Laboratory. Uh, that makes that's so much sense. Yes. No, that's a little embarrassing for me. I should really know that, but. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it's a great program. It's like an undergraduate research program. You don't really have to have any experience to um, apply and, and get into it. Like, I'm not, I'm really, for what I'm doing for school, I'm doing no research. I'm not in labs doing anything like that. And I was able to go and, and, and work, which was super fun. But anyways, uh, I was doing residential building energy efficiency. So how to build more energy efficient homes. And we were talking a lot about walls and a lot about insulation. And when you think about that stuff, like most people don't get excited, but 
I, I like to just immerse myself in the little world and get really nerdy with it. And so it was, I was working with um, another intern and um, I went over to to his house one, one night and he was like, yeah, check out this wall. There's a hole in it. You can see all the layers. This is crazy. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, but anyways, that was a little bit of a tangent. The point is, um, I think some people are really specialized in what they want to get into. And some people already have experience, you know, in the technical side or um, I have a, a friend in the program who's really, really good at drawing cars. And so he's interested in automotive design. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it's just whatever, whatever happens, it's going to probably be whatever internship I get. Um, the internship period is, is normally in your junior year. And so it's what whatever happens there. And, um, how I like it. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to, to, um, see just like hear from Jason, what your journey is. <laughs> yeah. Like. Thank you so much for coming on <laughs> our I'm podcast and talking to us because yes. it seemed like there's a lot of communication involved, science communication too, right? Because you're, mm-hmm. you're yeah. sort of between again for engineering and, and clients that are going to use these products. So that's really great. Um, yeah. We need to wrap here soon, but I wanted to to open it for any other questions. I, I've sort of dominated this conversation because I've been so fascinated by Bella's. This is awesome. Um, but Jason, we haven't heard much from you. <laughs> oh no, that's great. I've been, sure I've been. You had a chance to interrogate Bella. I'm sure you yes. didn't like the part about like, oh, I went over to his house and. You know, I'm sure that part did so well. But. Oh, oh no, I, no, no, no! I sorry, that was a very bad way of phrasing it. This is a guy that I knew in high school, and my younger brothers are friends with him. So yeah. my younger brother yeah, and I, I went over to his house to talk with his family. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know this, maybe, maybe no, cut that I, part I out do, of the podcast. I do. No, no, it's good. It's all good. Yeah, it, it was really funny to see her and uh, Will, who was the other um, intern, um, talking, like, totally nerding out about, like, <laughs> walls and windows and, like, energy specifications and uh, stuff that I, like, yeah, wow, I mean, it, not very interesting to me, but I'm super glad you guys are all so jazzed about it. <laughs> um yeah, and I just wanted to say, uh, uh, we were you were talking about, um, you know, the the aspect of comics and 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 also the aspect of like how learning about critique and I um, probably not all that often, but I've definitely used Bella and as well as uh, her brothers as sounding boards for some ideas. So sometimes I'll have an idea or I'll have a comic and I'll kind of put it out there and like say, hey, do you think this is funny? And or, or, you know, do you have feedback for it? Right. Because I'm so close to it. It's hard for me to tell. Um, sometimes that has involved like okay, that looks okay, but I don't get what you're trying to say. And then I have to go and explain it. Usually that makes it not so funny. Um, (laughs) But it's been very, very helpful getting that kind of feedback because sometimes it's just a matter of like, oh, I didn't understand what this thing was. Like this visual element didn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, I totally see that, you know. Um, and Bella has been, I, I won't say that, uh, that that had anything to do with her, you know, training for, uh, for giving feedback and, and taking feedback, but it's, uh, but it's something that I've definitely valued. Um, and even this last summer, I think we did that several times. So, 
I'm excited to see how Bella's experience and growing expertise in design is going to inform Red Pen, Black Pen. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, need to, we need to talk more about it. I feel like we haven't collaborated right. with no, for I mean, a while. Yeah. Um, I have not. I do have a question for you guys. I feel like I've talked a lot about my experience and I talked a little bit about discoverability, which I think is a super interesting concept. But how do you think discoverability of presentations fits into what you guys are doing with science communication? And by, by that, I mean, like when you're presenting your research, how much context and how technical do you want to have to get with it in order to convey like the feeling of what you're presenting? That's a great question. I have. Okay. So, I love. Right, so, I like this question a lot, actually. Yeah, I think I think Bella wins on questions. We were all like asking questions. <laughs> Bella, <laughs> Bella, Bella did something useful. Yeah. So one of the things I think about in terms of and and I think it is analogous to product discoverability, right? This idea I, that I want my audience to get what I'm saying, right? that it's going to be useful for them. And that I think is the key. So what do I want my audience to take out of this? So what is the objective of my talk that I'm giving and who are they and what do I think they can, they know. So um, I almost never go into a presentation uh, without knowing who is going to be in the audience Right. Who are potential people who might be in the audience and and what are a little bit about like what their experiences and some of that is assumption. Right. So if I know they're graduate students in this program or like they're graduate students in communication or the graduate students in science, I make some assumptions about what they might know about communication. Um, and then I also think very much about like, what is the objective? What do I want them to like leave this lecture or this talk with if they only remembered one thing? Right. What is that one thing that I want them to leave with? And so, you know, this is how I tend to structure like all the talks I give. And then all my talks take this narrative format. So it's not just like I'm not just delivering you information to fill like a, a hole of knowledge, right? Like a deficit of knowledge. And so this is a knowledge deficit idea that we've talked about. But I am I am trying to tell you a story. So usually I give talks about my research, but I'm trying to tell you a story about my research and its trajectory that might be more interesting than just like, here's paper one, here's paper two, here's paper three <laughs> that nobody will ever read. You know what I mean? And so there's a very, a very clear, like for my myself, I have a clear objective of what I want them to take away. And then I have a sense of who is going to be there, right? What yeah. do you think people are going to take away from this podcast? They remember one thing <laughs> that Bella is a very capable and actually probably that that you're an adult trapped in a kid's body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, there we that's go. the answer I was looking for. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and that Sarah is a kid trapped in an adult's body. Oh, yes. yes. Right. Yes. Yes. yes, we have. I forget that. Wait, it's like uh, it's like Freaky Friday. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We got the matching haircuts. Swapped. too. Yeah. Yeah. Matching haircuts. I didn't notice that until, yeah, until you just pointed that out. That's so funny. <laughs> so I think that, I think this is something actually that I have had to deal with directly recently. So one of the, one of the things that the company that I work for does is that everyone who applies and gets uh, moving through the hiring process, you have to give a job talk mm -hmm. and you, anybody can be there. 
they can be from sales, they can be from commercialization, mm. they can be the CEO, they can be the, the chief science officer, they can be a technician, they can work in a greenhouse, they can be from operations, they can be from anywhere. And if you give a talk at, or a presentation that is just aimed at four people, all of whom have a PhD in your area, you're not doing well. It's it's not going to be particularly well received. So, in it's sort of the opposite to what Sarah was bringing up. Is you know you have an idea of your audience beforehand. In this case, you <laughs> is everybody. Oh, can you never you find know? out? I mean, you can go through all their LinkedIn profiles, but <laughs> it, it, I mean, there's 130 people that you're looking through oh, theoretically, sure, yeah. and you know anybody can see it and it gets recorded, and then you can look at it later and blah blah blah. And anybody who interacts with you can you know, weigh in on the hiring process theoretically. And so you have to do something that is both hard hitting and scientific. Well, hard hitting, hard hitting as we ever go, you know, deep <laughs> theoretical science, <laughs> earth shaking, earth shaking. That was shaking. it. That was it. Um, but also is accessible. So you can't have, you know, slides with Boku text. You can't have complicated diagrams. You can't have a whole lot of jargon that you might understand. Your group might understand, but everybody else can be like, what's, what's heteroscedastic? Like what, you know? So, <laughs> what'd you say? It's an awesome Why word. don't you even say that word, heteroscedastic? <laughs> that like word gives me... It makes me anxious. I'm not even kidding. Every time I hear heteroscedasticity, it makes me anxious. Because I'm, like, I'm sorry. Ah, what is that again? Oh. I'm just going to smile and nod and pretend I know yes. exactly what you're talking about. So, and I think, Patrick, what you're bringing up is that this is a, a pretty it's challenging, right? It, it is. is difficult to make a presentation, to yeah. communicate in a way that gets your point across to, to different people and different groups. And so... That kind of begs the question for me in a lot of like engineering programs or science programs in general, undergraduate um, programs, education programs, there's not a lot of formal training in communication, right? You spend so much time learning about the science. You don't really spend a lot of time thinking about mm -hmm. how you talk about that science. And so, but it is all, a yeah. challenge. Like it's a huge challenge to think about how we create a presentation that speaks to audiences at very different levels. Well, it's yeah. funny too, um, when I was going through that internship program, we presented in a student symposium. Um, so there were a whole bunch of people giving presentations and I had to peer review somebody. And like, I am familiar with science concepts that these people are talking about, but obviously I'm not researching in like such a technical field. And I can't remember, I think this um, student's presentation was on plastics and the structure of plastics. And I looked at his title and I was like, there's no way I'm going to understand any of this before the presentation. So I did my own research and looked up terms that I wouldn't know. And I went into the presentation and even with that research, I had no idea what he was talking wow. about. And it killed <laughs> me because like he was charismatic and knowledgeable and he was a good presenter, but he wasn't presenting the right information to somebody like me who has never dealt with yeah. like plastic structures in my life right um, and and you've done more work than the general audience member right you right the research oh, on it i mean people don't do that generally yeah. no no i'm gonna i'll i'll stop asking questions after that but along those lines <laughs> like 
It is. So obviously you want to make your presentation accessible to a whole bunch of different audiences. But if you're presenting in a science symposium, are you able to assume that because people were asking questions about that presentation that made me think that they all knew what this guy was talking Mm. about. And so it's like, is it okay to assume that the people you're presenting to are going to be knowledgeable enough about that? Like, where's where's the line? Because my presentation was very non-technical like I talked about technical concepts but it was kind of like this where it was just like skirting around you know just having a conversation with the audience kind of feeling is what I wanted it to be so I'm going to take the start of that one and the reason I'm going to take the start of it Bill you because none of us introduced ourselves to you (laughs) um you know I um I'm one of the leads for one of the tracks at the American Society of Microbiology microbe meeting, and they get you know, 8, 10, 12,000 people a year. And so you have to design a talk. And free that, beer. And free beer. That's right. Well, that's the best part. Um, that's <laughs> why people go. And the swag, of course. Um, <laughs> the swag. The swag. Yeah, right? But you have to design a talk for the type of session that you're in. And whenever you design a session, if you're one of the people who is on the committee to do so, you state what level of audience you think you're going to have. Is it a beginner, is it an an Mm -hmm. intermediate, or is it an advanced level? And then oftentimes you'll also tailor the title of the talk to give you an idea of whether this is going to be more of a survey, this is going to be a method, or this is going to dive into the exact nucleotide differences that contribute to this phenotype in a specific population of uh, mutant rats that do this, right? That's basically the, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But it is a really good new movie, I will say that. I liked it as well. Oh, I'll watch it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. The animation is amazing. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so it kind of depends on what type of talk you are asked to give and what information you have in advance. At least that's what we look at from the programmatic side of things. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to turn it over to Sarah for a better answer. (laughs) I don't know if I have a better answer. Well, do I have a better answer? I want... Yeah, well, no, I don't have a better answer, but I have an answer. So I want (laughs) people of different levels to take away something. I don't think it should matter what level you are. I think there's always something that you could take away. And and I think to me, I care a little, usually care a little bit less about like the audience that is very advanced and maybe very, very close in my field that is like, well, I've heard all of this before. And I'm right. like, well, then you shouldn't have come to the talk. because <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, they might be the people who are reading your papers too. You know, like yeah. the, that level might be like, Yes. They've already read your papers yeah. or, or they might want to go and do that. Exactly. So I think there's a diff- there for, so I always want people to take something away. And for those, the high, the high level people, I'm putting that in air quotes, right? For that particular talk, um, I think there's always something I have in my back pocket that I don't necessarily say to everyone that we can talk about later because those who are interested will probably come and talk to you later and ask you much more technical questions. And so I'm always prepared to answer those. Sometimes I'll even have slides after my last slide that that is designed to answer those technical questions. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I like to try to think about is anticipating what kinds of questions I might get about this talk and then trying to prepare myself for that. 
but yeah, I think there's like the, I want everyone to, I want this talk to be understandable. I want you to take this away from it. And then there's the hot, the sort of more detailed kind of scientific, boring, technical details that I also have in my back pocket. So there's, and, and this is why I say, you know, it takes a lot of preparation. I think this is like survey research, right? If you've never done survey research, you think it's easy because you're just asking people a bunch of questions. <laughs> but how you ask questions, right? The order in which you ask questions, the words you use to ask questions can influence people's uh, answers. And so when I think about it this way too, when, when I give a talk or when I prepare a talk, you think, oh, I just got to put my slides together and they'll be great, right? right. Mm-hmm. There's actually a lot you think about that's not just related to the slides, right? Certainly there's like, how are people going to see visually the design of the slide and understand that? That's a really big part of it too. There's, you know, thoughts about content. Who am I talking? Like, you know, what kinds of content am I presenting to to which audiences? And, and how much should I have in my back pocket that I am able to talk about as well? So there's, there's a lot of things to think about, which is, again, why I'm always wonder about like, why isn't there more classes on it? Like, why isn't this yeah. one? Semester? No, it's totally, you know, it's hard too. Cause you can't just be a good communicator. If you're presenting to a client or something that's a little more technical, it's like, you gotta, you gotta be able to back that up or people are going to ask questions and you're not yeah. going to know what's going on. Exactly. Um, but yeah. And to, to yeah. address something that Patrick said in the chat. Yes, Sarah, I would love to be your grad student. <laughs> <laughs> Utah is great. Salt Lake city is great. I'm here. So I think I think with that, we've come pretty well full circle in this from, you know, some brief introductions and learning about uh, Bella's exceptional careers prior to industrial design. <laughs> we, didn't, and then, we didn't talk Robbie. about figure skating. <laughs> yeah, we didn't well, talk about figure skating. That's for the next pod. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I also want to put this out there that I think if Planet Psycom is still a thing in a few years, Bella, if you're into it, Let's let's see how you uh, feel at the end of your idea. degree. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. You know, by that point, you'll have oodles more and different experiences and a different viewpoint. And then maybe we can revisit some of this. And I think that'll be a really interesting way to demonstrate how expertise comes with time and experience. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I want to thank you, Bella, so much for coming on. This is rad. Great conversation. Um, and great job fielding some really weird amorphous questions like A+. <laughs> and so with that, we're signing off. Have a good one. Stay tuned for the next one, hopefully in 2023. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.